It's debate night, but we're not at the Reagan Library. We are undisclosed with Mr. Bill O'Reilly. Against my will. <laughs> Bill O'Reilly, what a pleasure this is. Thank you for doing it. I have one question before we begin. <laughs> you do? Okay. How long is this going to last? Quite some time. Oh, Quite because I know, I know these, these X things and... and they're like some four days. They go on forever. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a like deposition. Sh shave in the middle of them. <laughs> With no lawyers. Right. So you got canned exactly six years before I did, almost to the day from Fox. How's your life? Well, first of all, what was that like? And how's your life been since? Well, I don't see it as getting canned. I got furloughed. <laughs> furloughed. I like that word. <laughs> furloughed. See, I've been in this business almost 50 years. And I've worked for CBS, ABC. King World, Inside Edition, um, and uh, now Fox. And then I did all the local stuff. I worked yep. local. So I understood what most television news people don't, that you are expendable. Yeah. I'm sorry to Sylvester Stallone, but you're expendable, okay? And so when bad things happen, I kind of expect that, even though I was the ratings leader and all that. Once the boss at Fox News, Roger Ailes, left the um, operation, everything changed. And when everything changes, then anything could happen. Yeah. So it wasn't like thunders bolt like you out of the blue. What, what the deuce is this? Okay. And so what I did was basically accept it right away like I would accept a car accident or something like that. Yeah. There's nothing I can do about it. There's absolutely nothing I can do about it. We got my people, my lawyers, managers. We had a nice conversation with News Corp. They fulfilled their contractual obligations to me, every bit of it. And we said, see you later. That's what happened. So, but you said the predicate to all of this happening was Roger Ailes leaving. Right. What was that exactly? I don't know. I, I made it my business to stay out of the corporate politics at Fox. Yeah. So in 20 years plus that I was working there, I saw Rupert Murdoch seven times. Yeah. In 20 years. That's it. I, don't, I didn't have anything to do with that side of the business. Now, Ailes would call and yell at me from time to time that I said something stupid. And I would say to him, if you're going to call and yell at me when I say something stupid, that's going to take up most of your day every day. All right. So why don't you just pick your spots here? You know, I didn't have any kind of corporate relationship. So I didn't know. Even with Ailes. Oh, the Ailes was news analysis relationship. Yeah. And news gathering. Did you respect him? Um, he, the guy was a giant. Oh, he, could, he knew what was going on. He was a great Italian evalu evaluator. Yes. He knew who was good on TV and who wasn't. Okay? He's a no BS guy. I asked him a question. I got an answer. Do you know how rare that is in the media? To ask somebody a question, get an honest answer? Never happens. It happened twice to me. Peter Jennings and Roger L. Those were the guys. I ask them a question, I get an honest answer. Both self-made guys. Whatever it was. But here's what people don't understand about television news. It's like professional football, the NFL. 
If you are a talent, both Carlson and I are talent. That's the, what they call us because we're on television. You have to beat the shows that are up against you. Right. Right. So when I was at Inside Edition, I had to beat Wheel of Fortune or whoever I was competing against. Right. Okay. Or at least come close. You have to beat the other team. And if you do beat them, like you did and I did, then you're rewarded with money. Not love, not loyalty, money. It's a pure play. So when personnel changes, then it's all thrown into chaos. So Tom Brady leaves the New England Patriots, right? Yeah. The entire dynamic of the organization changes. Now, some might say for the better, some might say for the worse, but it's totally different without Tom Brady. But here's where the analogy breaks down. The Patriots didn't fire Tom Brady the minute he won the Super Bowl and then denounce him as a sex criminal or a racist. Well, so why would you fire the guy, in your case, for example, who had dominated the space, was continuing, still number one? Like That just seems acting against interest. Like Why would you ever fire the top guy? Matt Lauer actually asked me that question. Yeah, good question. Okay, and he asked me it on the Today Show in a kind of haughty way. I said it was business. Pride goeth before the fall. Uh, so I never asked them why they did what they did, ever. But why attack? But what, so, listen to me for so a minute. This is important. Yeah. I never asked them why they did what they did. I accepted it, okay? And then, as I said, we got the contracts in order. But at the time, they were trying to buy Sky News. And the Sky operation runs all the soccer in Europe. Huge. Money making. Oh, yeah. All right. News Corp trying to buy them. The British regulators were giving them an awful hard time for a number of reasons. And in my mind, I thought that might have something to do with it. But I have to tell you this honestly. I didn't care. I had been there for 20 years. I was time for a change. When I started cable news, it was nothing. But I knew it was going to be huge. And then I said, you know what's going to be the next huge alternative independent media? Yes. And I just scampered on over to it. I think there was a week, only a week before I started BillOReilly.com. We already ended up and running as a news operation. I took a number of people from Fox with me, good people. And to this day, it's been six and a half years. It's the most successful independent news agency in the world. Where, but so you didn't spend any time locked in your bedroom with a bottle of vodka at all? No, I don't drink. I'm too boring to drink. That's why I don't drink. Um, never, I, I don't think feeling sorry for yourself is a good uh, use of anybody's time. Yeah. I accepted the situation, which is the key to life. I knew I wasn't going to change it, right? They made a decision, they made a decision. So why am I going to brood about it? I mean, a lot of Irish guys brood. Yes, yes, you know? it's, a, it's a brooding island. It is, but I'm not really a brooder. I'm like, uh, okay, that happened. Uh, the concern I was for my children, I protected my children as best I could, and I succeeded on that, I think. Um, but for me, it was, now we're going to do this, and we're going to make this sing, and we have. Amazing. So you, know, you lost no time? None. 
Not, in fact, I was writing books. I was doing radio. I mean, my radio franchise stayed right where it was. Nothing happened there at all. Nothing happened in publishing. I mean, you know, Killing the Witches is the 13th killing book. There was no interruption in that. The only interruption was on cable news. And so I went to another news forum. How did you keep yourself from getting bitter, though? I'm just bitter about everything anyway. So <laughs> that That's was your easy. Default. Yeah, I was like, oh, you know, how much more bitter can I get? I'm just bitter 24 um, 7. I have what they call an edge to me. All right. And, and so, but again. Where's that from? Levittown. You know, after World War II, the baby boomers, 100 kids. And if you, they didn't like you, it was like, okay, here we go. No kicking, though. We had rules at Levittown. No kicking. Brawling. Couldn't kick. Had so it was pre UFC. Yeah. Um, no tattoos at that time. But anyway, um, I have a philosophy of life that I've developed and I stick to it in that discipline. I don't I don't go to a psychiatrist because why drive them crazy? You know, that's not fair, fair to the psychiatrist. <laughs> if I would walk in, I don't do any of that. You know, I think I'm here for a reason. Put on the planet for a reason. I'm trying to be an honest guy and I make everybody that I work for money. But you know what the greatest thing is? I'll never work for anybody again. I run my own show now. So is that the future? I mean, what is it? You said you've worked everywhere in television. Right. Like, what is the future of cable news? What is the future of news? Cable news will be there. Yeah. But it, it's like the network news. I mean, when was the last time you said, uh, you heard somebody say, wow, did you see that on Nora O'Donnell? When was the last time you heard somebody say that? I don't think I ever have. No. No. But when... Cronkite was there, yeah, and Rather and Brokaw and Jennings, there was juice. Yeah, it was a real thing. So cable stay where it is, and Fox will win, by the way, because Fox has better talent. Fox wins not because of this ideological, although they have an advantage because traditional Americans have nowhere else to go except Newsmax, but Fox has better talent. The talent is better. And that's it. So people gravitate toward talent. I, I trained Waters, Jesse Waters. I trained yeah. him. Okay. So whether you like him or not, he's talented. For sure. And his talent. Hannity's talented. He can deliver a broadcast. Did you give Jesse advice before he started? Hey, well, I don't give advice when people ask me. Yeah. So you yourself have never asked me for advice. But that's totally false. I <laughs> did I did yes, I, I slept to your office. No, that is totally when okay. I took over Greta Van Susteren. I waited in the ante room of your office. Uh -huh. Yes, I did. It was the, in fact, Ailes told me go kiss O'Reilly's ass, and that's the first thing I did. A and man wait, never stands so tall as when he stoops to kiss an ass. What? What did I tell you? Uh, you said it's a very treacherous business. Mind your own business. Just stay, stay in your own lane. Do your thing. Okay. I thought that, that was, was good advice. Yes, right? it was. Okay. I'm sorry, but I'm old now. So I forget things. <laughs> right. What's your name again? <laughs> Jen Griffin. Um, I have to ask, I can't, I just can't resist. And I don't mean this as a criticism because I actually love it. But the most famous video on the internet is you shot off camera in a previous job before Fox. What am I doing? Going live? Is that You're going one? live. We'll do it live. Okay. We'll do it live! Fuck it! Do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! Right. Fucking thing sucks! I was in Iceland and I had some gnome come up to me and go, 
you're the going live guy. I said, what? I'm in Iceland. That was in Reykjavik? Yeah. And I'm. It, it, it's all over the world. I mean, there are Japanese guys going, I'm the live guy. I mean, it's ridiculous. <laughs> so I'm on Inside Edition, and they can't tape it every two minutes. They go, oh, we, we, we didn't get the audio. Oh, you were out of frame. Oh, there's a giant glob on your ear. And they couldn't get it taped. So finally, Irish guy went, all right, we'll do it live. Fuck it. Do it live. I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live. Right. Fucking thing sucks. You know, <laughs> and there it goes everywhere. Amazing. That's exactly what happened. Thank, thank you. You're welcome. I've wondered about that. So how did you, okay. How did you come up with, in, in the 13th in the series, witches? Okay, so the Killing series, the best-selling nonfiction book series of all time, by the way. That's Did incredible. you know that? No, I had no idea. You can do your research. 19 million copies of my books in print. So my, I'm a former high school teacher, history teacher. And the, the way that I entertained the urchins in Opalaca, Florida, a slum of Miami, was I told them stories about the people that we were talking about. I wasn't like Mr. Hand in Fast Times at Ridgemont. Right. <laughs> okay? Nobody would order pizza in my class. But I would tell them stories, personal stories, and make these people come alive. So that's what I did in the Killing series. So the witches, we start with the Mayflower. People coming over from England, Puritans, who the king hates, wants to get rid of them, 66 days on this boat, and what happens on that boat is unbelievable. Everybody thinks, oh, the pilgrims, I have another drumstick. This was brutal, okay? Oh, yeah. That's where we start. Then they land in Massachusetts. They wanted to go to Virginia, but they're a little off course in Cape Cod, and they finally wind up uh, in the Plymouth area of what Massachusetts is now. But they're fighting among themselves. They, they, they're not getting along. Everybody's hating everybody. And so a bunch of them move up to Salem. There was no Boston at that time. And they get into Salem, and they're all loons. They're all crazy clerics, all right? And demanding, they have to go to church like eight hours on Wednesday. I mean, I don't know how they watch primetime TV. They're always in church. So... In Europe, they routinely burned witches. Yes. Okay? But it was usually done in a political way. So this king doesn't like the Protestants. The Protestants are all witches. We'll set them on fire. And vice versa. We don't like the Catholics, so we're going to burn Joan of Arc. In Salem, that superstition took root. And it was driven by the kids, the little kids, who would go, Oh, that came to me in a night and told me to go and do the devil's do and all of that. And, it was, and then the adults went, all right, we'll hang them. 20 people executed. Yes. So the story is beyond fascinating. And real. And it led to the way we live today in America as far as our religious freedom is concerned. And that's the center of the book. The first part of the book is how they crossed, they got here, and the witches went out of control. And then a young boy in Boston 
Benjamin Franklin gets on to this witch's thing, and he visits the top witch hunter, Cotton Mather. Visits him, goes to his house in Boston. Has this long conversation, which we tell you about. Franklin never forgot the brutality of what the clerics did in Salem and brought it to Philadelphia, where there was a hellacious fight between Patrick Henry and Roger Sherman, who wanted the United States to be a theocracy, wanted to be a Christian nation. We have to put that in the Constitution. And Franklin, Madison, Jefferson, who didn't want any part of that. They were the brawl. And I, we discussed that. All right, that's the center part of the book. The last part of the book is demonic possession, which people go, oh, listen, <laughs> when I put you on the set of the movie The Exorcist, okay, while it was being shot by director William Friedkin, who was a pagan, okay, the stuff that happened during that movie, and it's based on a real story. It wasn't a girl, it was a boy, a teenage boy in Maryland who was possessed. We got all the diaries of the eight exorcists that dealt with this boy, three months. It's, you're sitting there, you're going, oof. So all in all- We were sitting there going, what? So demonic possession is real? To the Jesuits and the Catholic Church it is. What do you think? I think there's an act of evil. You know, I think it probably runs the television industry in America right Without now. Without question. <laughs> Without question. You know, so it's not fair to ask me and you about demonic possession because we've just seen too much. <laughs> but in, I'm a Roman Catholic and yes. I, I believe there is an act of evil. And what we uncovered in Killing the Witches, as far as now, I mean, I, I gotta tell you, when I'm reading these diaries written by the Jesuit priests who worked on this boy uh, to try to get him you know, somewhat under control because he was bleeding and screaming and talking in languages, nobody, and they recorded it. They recorded the Aramaic. He's a 13 year old boy in Maryland, he's speaking Aramaic. I mean, it's so- And yes. they didn't teach Aramaic in Bethesda. <laughs> no, I don't think there's a, although uh, the Terrapins, Maryland, University of Maryland, they may have an elective. Wait, so that's, okay, so did that make you think, you conclude the book, in modern day America, but it, did it make you wonder if maybe there was a witch or two in Salem? No, because that was so crazy because every word of the testimony in Salem in 1692 and three was written down. Every word was written down. They were scribes writing all the testimony down and it, it's up in New England in museums. We got it all. That was so insane what they were doing up there. And a lot of it had to do with money. They were hanging wealthy landowners so they could seize the land. That was part of the con up there. But when you see little girls turning on their parents, one little girl was driven out of her mind. Two dogs were deemed to be witches and executed. Okay, I draw the line there. I know. No killing the dogs. That's how crazy it was. Yes. But it had a fragmentation effect that is in play in our society today. And then the last thing I do is in the afterward, we have witch hunters in America now. They're just different kind of witch hunts. We have cancel culture. But you, accusation, you're guilty. You know who they are. Of course. And I mean, that's just driven by young people. 
Want to say that's that? malignant. That's evil. An accusation you're guilty, no due process, no anything. We see it every day. Every blanking day. But there was a period between, I mean, so The Crucible, the famous play by Arthur Miller mm -hmm. about the Salem Witch right. Trials came out, I think, in the 50s or early 60s. And there was a period, the bulk of your life, mine too, where that was considered terrible. The Salem Witch Trials were a model for what you didn't want your society to become. And then right. within about three years, we wound up in the middle of Salem. Like, how did that happen? Well, what we found really interesting was two, two things. It was two keys. The Benjamin Franklin teenager, and the guy was a genius, actually getting involved with this thing and then bringing it into the Constitution. That was beyond fascinating. The second thing is now Salem makes millions and millions of dollars marketing witches. It's which city? Salem, Massachusetts. So when we called up the mayor to ask a few questions about, hey, you know, there are 20 people hang by the neck until dead, but you're making millions off these people. Nobody would talk to us in Salem. They wouldn't talk to us <laughs> because it's uneasy. Yeah. They're making big money off the bodies of these innocent people who were strung up by these crazy clerics. Amazing. So I got to ask you about a previous book in your series about the murder of JFK. Mm -hmm. So at the time, I remember you were attacked for being like a conspiracy nut for suggesting the Warren Commission wasn't fully accurate. Do you feel vindicated however many years later? Um, we did so much meticulous research on killing Kennedy, and we got, for the first time, the FBI reports about what actually happened. So many people have made so much money off this assassination by saying, oh, it was this, and it was a grassy knoll, and then it was Fidel Castro, and then they got a... <clears throat> we basically just went right down the line, but I couldn't answer one question. And to this day, it drives me crazy. Lee Harvey Oswald shot Kennedy. Right. Okay? He did it. But one of the guys who was friends with Lee Harvey Oswald was George DeMoran Shield. Exactly. A CIA operative, not an agent. DeMoran Shield was a Russian living in America. And he taught at Bishop College, a black college in Dallas. And DeMoran Shield, Lee Harvey Oswald was a crude, uneducated man. Yes. Could barely put sentences together. DeMoran Shield was an aristocrat. White Russian. Right. Why was he hanging around with Lee Harvey Oswald? But Why? Like the second he and Marina came to the United States, he was connected with- Boom. Now, there was a Russian expat society in Dallas. Yes. It's true. And you would say, okay, hi, how are you? Maybe you have a little uh, supper on May Day, whatever they're doing, okay? But this guy was hanging with Oswald. And I can't find out. And then DeMorne Shield commits suicide. Yes. When the church committee investigators right. approach his home in Palm Beach, Florida. Blows his brains out. His daughter is still alive. I'm not going to say where she is, but we know where she is. I have done everything in my power to try to get that woman to tell me what the hell George DeMornshu was doing with her father. It's the one piece I can't put together. So the 
various the last several administrations have kept classified thousands of pages right. of CIA documents uh, related to the assassination. Seems pretty clear that the CIA had a much larger role in this than they admitted publicly. Well, they were tracking Lee Harvey Oswald, and they picked him up in Mexico City when he tried to get a visa to go to Havana. They knew him. Um, there's no doubt about that, that the CIA was on, he was on their radar scope. Um, but to take it further, you need more hard evidence. And the only guy who had that, other than maybe CIA guys who are all deceased, you know, is the Morrison. What do you make of Jack Ruby, the lone gunman who killed the lone gunman? Ruby was, knew he was going to die. Okay? He had cancer. Yeah. So he wanted to go out in a blaze of glory. That's the kind of nutty guy he was. So he knew all the cops in Dallas, they, you know, and he was around, so they let him waltz right in to the police station. Didn't pat him down or anything. He puts out, he kills Oswald. He just wanted to go down in history as being a big shot. So you don't think he was part of any larger no, network? No, Nope. He's a low-level mob guy. And he is a local thug, ran strippers. That's what he did. Do you, uh, I mean, that whole period, 63 through 68, you know, saw three big political assassinations. Um, and we haven't seen one in the year since. Do you worry that given the volatility of American politics that we're gonna enter a, a period of that kind of behavior again? I think we're way behind that now. I, I, we're in, here's what we're in. With Joe Biden's administration, the second worst president in American history. Who'd be the first? James Buchanan. <laughs> and I know you know, you know, James Buchanan allowed the Civil War to happen. Yeah. Okay, four years, he sat on his butt, he didn't do anything, the people in the South were attacking federal agents, burning down depots, stealing guns, he didn't do a thing. Worst president by far. We're in the age of disorder now. America has entered the age of disorder, and it's because of the progressive movement. President Biden, in my opinion, is diminished mentally. Yes. Doesn't know what he's really doing from day to day, and you can see that in his public statement. Pretty evident. Yeah. Right. The progressives like that because the people who control him inside the White House can tell him anything, and he'll do it. Who are they, by the way? Well, Klain and Rice were the two yes. in the beginning. And then their assistants have taken over. Names escape me at the man. You'll never see them, ever, ever. But they, are very, they basically tell Joe what to do and say. So this open border policy, which is insane, literally insane, okay? This has led to massive death with the fentanyl problem. Destruction of cities like El Paso. Whole cities evaporated. Chaos in New York. We've got uh, buses of migrants being attacked by citizens who don't want to move in into their neighborhoods. There isn't anything good about this. And immigration law says this should not be happening, but Biden won't enforce the law because the progressives don't. George Soros' main thing for almost his whole life is no borders anywhere. Everybody comes and goes at there, and, and he pumps hundreds of millions of dollars into the progressive cause, and they finally got their guy. Everybody thought Obama, Obama, Obama. Obama didn't go that far. No. Biden, age of disorder. 
Black Lives Matter, no police, nobody's punished for crimes, tax people up to here so they don't have any assets. The more money you take from people, the less power they have. And the progressives want to run everything, including telling your children what to think when they're five years old. And most Americans don't get it because the press is working with the progressive movement and suppresses all this. So they don't know that we're in the age of disorder. And we are everywhere from Seattle to Key West, everywhere. And we got to snap back or we're going to lose what we have here. But I mean, we're in a presidential season now where the Biden administration has indicted their opponent, the front runner in the race, Trump is leading in the polls, four times. Um, and they're going to try and convict him and send him to jail before the election and take his name off the ballot. So, I mean, if you're willing to do that and just end democracy, then, I mean, what aren't you willing to do? But thank God you can't do it. So number one, he's not going to be taken off the ballot. There's no constitutional order that would allow that to happen. Number two, he's not going to prison because even if he's convicted, none of the things that he's charged with would warrant prison. And the Supreme Court would rule if it ever gets up there that he'd be in home confinement where he could run the government if he wanted to. If he wins, he'll be confined at the White House or whatever. But none of that's going to happen. So the American people understand what this is. They understand um, that the documents in Mar-a-Lago basement parallel the documents in Joe Biden's garage. Yes. It's the same thing. But one guy gets raided and charged, and the other guy, real quick, who's the special prosecutor looking into the Biden documents? I can't remember. Robert Herr. And you, a skilled newsman, don't know his name. No. You know why? Because he's in Tierra del Fuego's own place. <laughs> he's gone. Oh, he's going to investigate. See ya. I'm going to Sri Lanka. Nobody's heard a word about him. Does it really take nine months to figure out why Joe Biden illegally, because he's vice president, had no right to take anything, had documents in his garage? Does it take nine months to do that? No. no. Has Joe Biden been interviewed? No. Has Joe Biden been interviewed? No. I think they should interview Hunter Biden because Hunter Biden probably tried to sell the documents to someone. <laughs> That's a joke. That's a jest for you media matters people watching now. Okay. So American people know the fix is in. Now, that doesn't excuse Donald Trump for taking the documents. I don't know why he took the documents. He's never going to read the documents. <laughs> why did you take them? And when they asked for them back, why didn't you just give them back? Just make a copy of them if you want to write a book or whatever and give them to the archives. He's What's annoyed. It didn't feel like it. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But anyway. so, so what happens? I mean, Trump gets elected. Trump could get elected. Sure. Absolutely. But the system, the entire federal bureaucracy, the biggest system in human history has decided we're rejecting this organ. We don't want this. So well, they decided that in 216. Yeah, exactly. And look what happened. But see, that's the diminishment. You asked about cable news earlier in the interview, and I said it's still going to be there, but it's not going to be what it was. Right. We're not going to have the influence that it had. Okay. It's the same thing with the federal government. It's going to be there. But now if you're indicted, people look at the indictment, they go, eh, you know, we know why this is happening. Most people do. And 
So, in, it looks like Trump's going to walk into that Republican nomination with no problem at all. That's what it looks like right now. Do you think you'll be writing Killing Trump at some point? What, writing, I wrote it, The United States of Trump, and I wrote that book. If you really want to know who he is and how he got that way, right. you read The United States of Trump. But so you don't think we run a risk of entering like a, an actual period of chaos? We are in the chaos now. Yeah, it seems Carlson. that way. It seems that way. We're there. But do you think if Trump gets elected that he'll be able to stand in Washington on January 20th, 2025 and accept the presidency? Look, Trump will do what's best for Trump. I've known him more than 30 years. That's what he's going to do. So if it's best for Trump to stand there on inauguration day and give a speech, he'll do it. But what Trump can do, if he's elected, is stop the age of disorder. Yeah. He can stop it. You could close the border tomorrow. All you have to Easily. do is write an executive order that says we are suspending all requests for asylum for six months yeah. until we can get this thing under control. Put some troops down So there. we're not taking any more. We could do that tomorrow. Trump knocked it down about 80%, the migration across, by making a deal with Obrador. And I know this because I was in on that deal. And I said to Trump, and I've never said this before, but Carlson's kind of like a hypnotist. He looks at you and, he, and you get hypnotized. Hypnotized. So I'm going to tell you something that's interesting. I never call Donald Trump, but I'm, he's a friend of mine. But I never call him. But he calls me occasionally when he wants some comic relief. And he knows that the border thing is big with me. Yeah. He knows. And the cartels are super big. So I wrote a book called Killing the Killers. And in the book, we chronicle how Obama and Trump assassinated the worst jihadists on the planet. We take it step by step by step. And the reason they're allowed to do that is because they declared the Revolutionary Guard of Iran a terrorist group. So they whacked Soleimani, the head of it. And if you read Killing the Killers, we have every second of what happened. All right? Okay. So Trump gets wind of the book. I don't know if he read it or not, but and he, we're talking about it. And I said, why don't you do that with the cartels? Just designate terror groups. They're killing more Americans than these jihadists ever killed. Then we're killed in Vietnam every year. Right. I said, just slap the designation on them. And then you can wax them from uh, space with the drones and spend, send special forces into Acapulco and cut their heads off. Okay. And what are the Mexicans going to do about it? Nothing. So the negotiation happened, started. Okay. And Obrador went nuts. The president of Mexico he says, no, you can't do it. You can't do it. You rule my administration. So Trump, as his want, makes a deal with Obrador. Obrador promises to put Mexican army on a border with Guatemala and on the border with the United States, which he does. Cuts the migrants down 80%. Also, he gives Trump all kinds of trade preferences that helps the economy. Remember, inflation when Trump left was 1.4%. And it was that way because the imports coming in from Mexico and China and other places were so low, it drove down all the prices. Right. Trump did that. Trump did that. Because everything with Trump is a deal. It's always a deal. So I said to him, 
So you gave up the, the designation of terror group for that? He goes, yeah. I said, we won't do it if you do X, Y, and Z. I couldn't argue with it. Helps the economy in the United States, drops migration 80% in his last year. He was an effective president. Not an ideologue, doesn't believe, he's a populist, not a conservative, doesn't have any of that stuff going on. No. It's deal after deal after deal after deal. That's how he controlled Putin. But he won't tell me what he has on Putin. But I know he has some. Why do they hate him so much in Washington? What? Why do they hate Trump so much in Washington? Because Trump doesn't respect them. He's not in awe of them. Washington, as you know, because you live there, is all about the cocktail parties. It's all about the social invitations, mingling with the powerful, going here, going there, Cafe Milano. Oh, I had dinner with uh, uh, Senator so-and-so tonight. That's what it's all about. Trump didn't care about those people at all. And he wasn't respectful to them. No. I mean, you know, he looked at the FBI and the CIA, and he, he didn't fear or respect them, and they didn't like it. That's what it was all about. You, you said that you've been in this business for almost 50 years. Started when I was seven years old. <laughs> How long are you going to do it? I don't know. That's a good question. I work way too hard for my age. Most of my friends are riding around the villages and a little golf course. You know, I mean, it, you know, and I'm looking at them. It's not too bad. You know, they're out on the beach. You know, this. I'm working my butt off every day. And I'm going, why am I doing this? Why are you doing it? I don't know. I mean, I have a mission. I said earlier that I'm put on the planet for a reason. I know I was. And that's why you have to accept bad things that happen to you, because they happen to every human being. There's a reason that happened. You don't know the reason, but there's a reason. Um, so I'll do this as long as I feel that I'm doing good. Let me give you an example. So on BillOReilly.com, which is our nexus, that's where we live. We yes. have all kinds of stuff going on there. And people should check that out. We have a concierge membership. You pay a little money, but not a lot. You get direct access to me. You can email me anything you want, including problems, bad things that are happening to you. Do you get weird emails? Well, my, I have a staff that yeah. sets the weird emails on fire. I don't see the weird emails, okay? That's a rule. But I help those people when they need help because most people have no blank and clue how to negotiate the system. I know how. So we get some heartbreaking letters. People who have cancer and they, their children are doing this or that. And I can usually guide them to a place. And in some cases, we intervene to help them. That, to me, is why I do this. So we have... Wait, people can email you directly with their personal problems? That's right. And it's... I can't tell so, you so how what successful you, it's been. What have you learned from that? What, I mean, are the nature of people's problems changing? Well, you must learn a lot about people. You're quoted at one time, and, and Carlson and I never really knew each other that well because he was in D.C. and I'm in New York, but you were quoted at, and I don't know if this is an accurate quote or not because 90% of the stuff written about you and me is not true. But it was like, oh, Riley's a populist, but if it ever comes out that he's an elitist masquerading as a populist, his career will be over. That's what you were saying to your staff, according to one dispatcher. Un untrue. But it, it is true. If you didn't say it, that's fine. But if you had said it, 
I wouldn't be mad because it's absolutely true. I made my whole success looking out for the folks. That's what I do. I couldn't care less about going to the parties or any of that. Um, so the point is that we've developed a program to help individuals on BillOReilly.com, concerts, membership, and we do help them. So that's a worthy thing for me to stay in the game. That's amazing. No, it's not. It was. It's... What, what are people's biggest problems? Health, money, sex, job? It's, they don't know how to negotiate life. They're not taught in school or by their parents. In life in America, particularly in the age of disorder where we are now, you need three things. You have to have them. Number one, a doctor who wants to keep you alive, who will answer your calls and emails. You need a doctor that you know personally, okay? You need a lawyer. Again, someone you can get on the line, is gonna talk to you straight about whatever legalism, because you're gonna have them. And the third is you need a trusted financial advisor to lay out what your situation is and what your options are to increase your wealth or protect yourself in your old age. If you don't have those three, you're gonna get hosed. Interesting. And I'm fascinating, Carl. Well, that is interesting. I mean, that's well, why yeah. you asked me to I've come here. I've got some here. problems that I may, I may email you about on BillOReilly.com. You gotta pay a hundred bucks though. <laughs> no do freebies we, here. Do people not have a doctor, lawyer, Oh, they don't investment. have anything. They don't have anything. And, and they don't have a lot of assets. But somewhere. how do you find it just on the doctor thing? I, I've got a lawyer because I have no choice, financial, I guess. But I don't, I, don't, I don't trust doctors. Okay, but you know someone, I'm sure, who had a medical difficulty and who doctor came through and you do it by referrals. I have the greatest doctor on the planet. Woman cares about me cares about my children and you children trust her there. yeah because they're friends they're blood but it took me a while to find that person it just doesn't magically appear i've had my finance guys for 40 years i inherited them from my father um and attorneys i got way too many of them because believe me you mess with us we're coming we're coming at you we're not taking it that's over um but it was a lot of research, a lot of trial and error. I had to fire some people, I had to walk away from some people, but we, loyalty is very important to me, loyalty. And I give it back, by the way. Any of these people that are helping me, we'll help them if they ever need it. Last question, and I appreciate this. Uh, last question, so everybody hates the media, and that hatred, I think, is well-deserved. But since you spent your life in the media, who are, name a couple of people who you think are the good guys, well-known people, everyone's familiar with, who you've come across during your life and career, who actually were decent people. Are there any? Yeah, there's tons of them. Um, two days ago, I went to a Billy Joel concert. I grew up with him, with Billy Joel. And he is a megastar, and is re he's the same guy. We had a bunch of laughs backstage and stuff like that. I mean, there are so many. Wow. One of the good things about my career is I know everybody. I know everybody. And I'm not a schmoozer and all that. I mean, but 
there are a lot of good people. There are people, but in the media today, the problem is they're all afraid. Yeah. See, the reason that you were successful and that I was successful is very simple. At eight o'clock on the Fox News channel, nobody knew what we were gonna say. Whether they liked us or they hated us, it didn't matter. That son of a bitch, I wanna find out what he's gonna say tonight. That was it. Now, talent's free across the board. They say the wrong thing, they do this, they do that, and the bad guys know that. The media matters, people, they know it. It goes viral like that. You know what CNN did, CNN did to me on Friday? Right after Murdoch announced that he was stepping down as the chairman, CNN ran a montage. And the montage was designed to have their audience believe that Fox News is racist. Okay? Racist! You, racist! You were in the montage. <laughs> I'm proud. Okay. So what they did was they took a bunch of clips, maybe 10 clips. And one of the clips was me saying that slaves were well-fed and had decent housing. <laughs> That's all they used. O'Reilly endorses slavery. <laughs> all they so used. Stupid. This is primetime CNN. It's all they, that's it. You know what that discussion was about? Michelle Obama gave a lecture saying that slaves built the White House. Okay? <laughs> and it got a lot of controversy. I went on to Factor, and this was in 2016, and said, she's right. Slaves were employed by the federal government. They were well housed. They were well fed because they had to work to build the White House free. They weren't paid a salary. So Michelle Obama is right. That's what I said. And these sons of bitches at CNN took that eight seconds where I said slaves were well-fed and housed out of that whole thing, put it on their air. How evil is that? Trying to have people who don't know, they don't remember what I said, think that I'm a proponent, as you just said, of slavery. How blanket evil is that? And you know what? Happens every single day in this country. And then the websites pick it up, right? They drive it on out there and you're defenseless. So that's the age we live in right now. How long is it gonna continue? You know, I think in the media is shot. I think as we, talked about earlier, the independent agencies, what you're doing on it. It's X, right? It's X. That's what we're Twitter. calling it. That's what we're calling it. I thought Twitter kind of like I'm outdated. I'm kind of sick. I call it X. Whatever it is, you'll be successful. I'm sure I'm already very successful. Um, and I'm, that's the future. That's And we don't have to answer to anybody. I don't know about it. Musk calls you up in the middle of the night, but Nobody's calling me up in the middle of the night. Nobody likes me anyway, they wouldn't. But <laughs> I don't have to deal with this corporate crap anymore. It's liberation. Bill O'Reilly, that was a genuine pleasure. I appreciate it. You know, it was very kind of you to, to have a seat. I loved it. I loved and, it. Uh, I'm glad you read Killing the Witches. You know, it's a good Halloween book I still think you. there were some witches, but Yeah, well, what you suspicion. should do is instead of giving candy out at the Carlson household, 
give him a copy of the book to the urchins. <laughs> hey, it's still witches around. Read this thing. <laughs> Thank you.